0: Scripture reading this morning will be from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 through 7. If you're following along in your pew Bibles, it's on page 1028. 1028. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have defrauded no one. I do not say this to condemn. For I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast. Comforted us by coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation by which he was comforted in you, he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more.
1: Good morning. It is good to see each of you this morning. If you're a guest, again, uh, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We want to encourage you to remember that the Single Moms Car Care Clinic is May the 12th, and there are cards to invite individuals to that, and uh, they are in the information center, so be sure and pick those up, and let's let this be a wonderful way that we can serve those in a wonderful way like this, and then also uh, let them see the love of Christ and let them be introduced to His church. Also, ladies, keep in mind that uh, the ladies' retreat is this coming weekend and the sign-ups is in the foyer there at the Information Center and it'll be a wonderful weekend. If you're a lady uh, and have not yet signed up for that, we would invite you to that and encourage you to be a part of it. It's good to be together and have fellowship together and be encouraged in the study of God's Word and spending time with other Christians. Carpenters work with wood. Accountants work with numbers. Shepherds Work with sheep. The church. The church works in facilities. The church operates fleets of vans and buses. The church is in the pantry business. What business is the church in? Unless you say the church isn't in business, you might need to read your Bible. Several times, God says the church is in business. In Acts the 6, they appointed servants over this business, and the business was taking care of people. When Jesus was only 12 years old, He turned to His mother Mary and He said, Don't you know that I must be about my Father's business? What business is the church in? The church is in the same business that God is in because the church is the body of Christ. When you think about our Lord, for God so loved church buildings. For God so loved religion. For God so loved ministry. You see, there's nothing wrong. Matter of fact, there's a lot right about ministry and church buildings, etc., But what did God love? For God so loved people. He loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And then He commissioned, that is Jesus, His church. And He says, I want you to love people. He says in Mark the 16th chapter, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all the people, to every creature. And when he was listing the first and second greatest commandment, the first was to love God, the second was to love people. And just to show how important every person is, in Luke the 15th chapter, we have a great shepherding story that is told. And he says, sometime there will be 99 sheep that are together, and one sheep strays. Sometimes you're going to have 10 coins, and one coin is lost. Sometime you may have two sons and one son strays. What's the teaching? The value of one. Leave the ninety and nine. Light the lamp and sweep out the house till you find the one coin. Continually look down the road as the father is. And hope and pray and long for that one to come home. Because we find out in Luke the 15th chapter that there's great value in every person. Every person in this room this morning, there is great value. And God does not intend for His people to allow anybody to be invisible. God sees everyone in this room. God feels the pain of everyone in this room. And the question that we have to ask ourselves as shepherds, God gives all of us the responsibility to care for each other. And so God would want to know, do you see who I see? Do you see the pain or do you see the rejoicing? Do you see the opportunity for a friendship? Do you see the opportunity for fellowship? God longs for us to see what He sees. Recently, a friend um, that preaches was telling me that they went on extended vacation. He said, we stopped in a lot of churches in the three-week period of time. He said, now honestly, many times we didn't want to go in and introduce ourselves as the preacher. Many times we were going in as we were traveling. We were sitting down and and we were kind of doing, we'll speak if somebody speaks to us. He said, we go to a Bible class. We go into worship and we would leave. And he said, you know something I found out over the last three weeks? He says, I found out that the easiest place to go and never be spoken to is to church. I don't think that's God's design. I don't think it's God's design that visitors would come in with that attitude. I know it's not God's design that we would have an attitude that all we're here for this morning is just to attend a religious service. Our highest priority is to worship the Almighty God. But along with that comes the importance of the assembly. Or it wouldn't be commanded. We'd just worship God alone. We'd all do it on our own little islands. But there's something about assembling where we are to see each other. We're to love each other. We are to intertwine our lives with each other. And so this morning we read a passage, and and I don't know if just in the text that you read, if you picked up on, on some of the, the concern, the great concern and some of the heartstrings that Paul is sharing. Because you see, Paul went on his second missionary journey into Corinth. And he spent about 18 months there. And then on his third missionary journey, he spent three years in Ephesus. And while he was there, he began to hear word that there are some serious issues taking place in Corinth. And you need need to try to handle these issues. And you remember 1 Corinthians is laid out in a real systematic way. He just addresses problem after problem. Every chapter is a new problem. And so he writes that letter and he sends it. Well, naturally, Paul loves the Lord. Paul loves the people at Corinth so much. So what's he going to do? He's going to wait for a reply. How are they going to accept this? Are they going to turn away from him? Are they going to turn away from the Lord? He waits and he waits for a reply. A riot breaks out in Ephesus. He has to escape. He goes down into Macedonia. That's why it's mentioned in this particular chapter. And still, he had not heard a reply. But now, what he is figuring out is not only do they have some things that's doctrinally wrong, we see that in 1 Corinthians, we also see that there's things that are very immoral there, we see that in 1 Corinthians, and then when you put 1 and 2 Corinthians together, we also find out something very important, and it's important for today's study especially. False apostles had come in, and they had convinced some of the people that Paul himself was a false apostle. Paul knew what it was then to be rejected by individuals. And he knew that if they rejected him as a true apostle, they wanted to reject his doctrine. So it wasn't just a selfish matter, but it was probably a personal pain, a personal rejection. But then it's going to be the reality that if they leave my teaching, they're going to leave the Lord. And so he's so concerned with these three issues of doctrine and morality and, and whether or not you believe that I am a true apostle. And so finally, when he gets to Macedonia and he still hasn't received word, he sends Titus. He sends Titus that that Titus can find out how they're doing. Encourage them to righteousness. And then he waits and he waits. Is there anything much harder than waiting? He waits and he waits for a letter. He waits and he waits for Titus. He wants somebody to tell him that everything is okay in Corinth. And so this portion of 2 Corinthians, and by the way, it's mentioned all throughout the book of 2 Corinthians. It's mentioned in the first part of the book. It's mentioned in the last part of the book. It's mentioned here in the middle of the book. He mentions about Titus, and he mentions about Titus coming, and he mentions the comfort. We just read that. The comfort that he received when Titus came and brought good news. And so that caused him him to receive great joy. That caused him to realize that, hey... They're accepting me. They're accepting God. They're accepting the truth. In just a moment, we're going to read a phrase here. It's open your hearts to us, but before we read that phrase and really talk about that, I want you to think about something that is very meaningful to me that ties right into this phrase. And I think, and I know it's meaningful to many of us here Because it's something that as long as I have known the Mount Juliet congregation, it has always been said. I don't know if I've ever shared with you. There maybe has never been reason to share with you. But 13 and a half years ago in an interview, Tracy and I were trying to decide if we wanted to move. And as a congregation and as an eldership, you guys were trying to decide if you wanted to hire me as a preacher. And so, when we sat down in an interview with the elders, they asked me questions for probably 45 minutes to an hour. And then they said, Do you have questions? Because I didn't know whether or not I wanted to move. I did. I had a lot of questions. And so, I had questions for about 45 minutes or an hour also. And so it was a time for us to interview each other, and it was a very healthy interview. It it accomplished uh, great things. I learned so much about the Mount Juliet congregation, and I I think the eldership then learned so much about me, and Tracy was in that interview, and, and after spending those two hours together, it was rich. But one of the things that I was so concerned about was I did not want to move to a place where one day that congregation would reach a cap and say, we've saved enough people. We don't care how many more are out in the community that's lost. We've got enough, and that's all that we're concerned about. Now keep in mind, I didn't know you, and I didn't know your eldership, but I knew I wasn't going to move to a place that had a mindset that one day we have a set number, and if we reach that number, we're fine. Because as long as there's another soul down the road that's lost, it's not fine. And so, I simply asked the question something like this. I said, I know you've just spent several million on a new addition. And I know there's room to grow. But I said, let's just take five or ten years from now. What if that facility is full? Will we be content to stay and not reach out anymore? Or will we say we must continue reaching out? I remember Pat Hackney said to my immediate right, And I remember him speaking up and saying, we didn't spend those millions of dollars because we don't care about the lost. We spent those millions of dollars to build that facility so we can reach out to the lost. And he said, if that facility's full, we'll do whatever we have to do to reach more. And then, how many times have you heard this? And then he said, there's always room for one more The Mount Juliet Church Christ. There's always room for one more. But what does that mean? This morning, intentionally, this lesson is going to be so simple. We're going to talk about some other things, but the main thing I want us to study this morning is what is meant by room for one more. Does it mean, hey, we could we could get some people to, to squish together in a Bible class and we can make room for one more in a Bible class? We could we could get some people to park in different places and we can make room for one more car. We we could we could find a place in an auditorium and we can get the ushers to walk you down to an open seat. We have room for one more. Is that really is that what it means? Is it that simple? Not at all. That's not at all what is meant when we say there is room for one more as a Mount Juliet Church of Christ. But the only way what is meant can be true is it has to begin with each one of us. Each one of us has to have a mindset of is there room where? Well, let's let Paul tell us where that room is. Let's look back. If you would, hoping your Bibles. have not, look on the screen there. And I'd like for you to look at the first phrase of 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter and verse 10. 2 Corinthians 7 and 10. This is a longer verse, but there's one sentence at the first of this verse that is very short. Keep in mind, Paul knows what it's like to be rejected. These people that he lived with for 18 months, some of them now are saying, he's not who he said he was. And so Paul has written back to try to convince them, hey, don't reject me. Please don't cast me out. He sent Titus to them to say, Please don't reject Paul. Don't cast him out. And so, what does this man say? Think about this short, powerful sentence Open your hearts to us. The King James would say this same line Receive us. The New American Standard probably translates this phrase the best as it combines those two. And the New American Translation says, Make room for us in your hearts. Do you have room in your heart right now to receive someone into your life, into your friendship, into your fellowship that is looking for the Lord? They can walk into this auditorium and they can find a seat. Thanks to our new parking lot, they can drive into our parking area and find a parking space. They can walk into most of our classes and find a place to sit. But that's not what brings people to Christ. That's not what helps those of us that are Christians to be edified and to have a spiritual life of continual growth throughout our life together. It's not, well, I go to a place, they always provide me a pew, they always provide me a parking space, they always provide me a class, uh, a seat in class, and so I'm good. There's not anybody here that would say that. You know what we would all want, and you know what we all would expect? We would expect for somebody to open their heart and take us in. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, Some translations say many mansions. It's not the best translation. The best translation is, in my Father's house are many rooms... And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, Look, I love being with you on this earth. And I know you're nervous about me leaving. But let me tell you something. I'm not leaving you for good. I'm leaving you to prepare rooms. I'm leaving you to prepare a space so that all of you and all of us in the Godhead, we can be together for eternity. For God so loved the world God made a place in his heart, in his plan for all of mankind. You remember when Saul was converted in Acts, the ninth chapter? Because he had been a persecutor of Christians when he came back into Jerusalem. Remember there, it says in 26, that he tried to join himself to the Christians in in Jerusalem. He just wanted to be a part of them. He just wanted them to receive him. And you remember what they did? They ran from him because they knew him as the persecutor. And you remember what Barnabas did? Barnabas went in and received him. And Barnabas took him to the apostles. And he brought all of that church together there at Jerusalem. In verse 28, it literally says he was with them. Why? Because Barnabas received him. Are we receiving others? I want to give you an illustration. And I just want you to think about this illustration. is probably true in your life if you're a member of this congregation. And then I want you to think about what you're doing about it for somebody else that may be a guest this morning, or someone that maybe has been a member for a short time, but yet they are having a hard time getting to know people? For over a decade now, we've had a tradition where every other year the new elders or deacons are introduced at a retreat to each other, and they, they tell things about themselves, and it's just a time for them to get to know each other better. On those particular years, a timeline that we keep rolled up, and so now it's kind of old and raggedy, but it is unrolled, and it is just taped up to a wall, and on this timeline, it goes, it goes back many, many decades, and everybody that is a part of, of the eldership or a deacon or has served in the past 10 years, their name is on that. And, and whenever they were introduced, their name was written whatever year they came to the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. And then all of them are asked, sometimes several questions, but one question that is always asked, when you and your family visited the Mount Juliet Church of Christ, who was it that had a lot to do with you becoming a member there? And all of the years and all of the times that question has been asked, there has never been a hesitation in answering it. Everybody immediately knows who it was that made them feel welcome. And they begin to go in detail. They say, you know, the first Sunday we visited, we met, and they mentioned the name. You know, they invited us to lunch, or they invited us to sit with them, and, and we looked for them the very next time that we visited there. And, and really, I don't know if we'd be a member there if it were not for them. Oh, what do you want? Paul says, I'm not looking for a seat. I'm not looking for a parking space. Paul says, I'm looking for a place in your heart. Will you receive me? Listen, if you're not constantly investing in others... You're missing the business that the church is in. I know we have different personalities and different skill sets, but the bottom line is everything we do is for people. Every ministry and program that we have is not so that we can have that ministry and program alone. It's so that we can serve people. Every room in this facility is so that we can serve people. Every mission work that we do is so that we can serve people. Everything is about people. But what makes us trustworthy? In this last few minutes that we have, I'd like for you to look at the rest of verse 2. We've looked at the first phrase, open your hearts to us. And I'd like for you to look why Paul says... We are worthy of being trusted. And this is something that all of us need to be able to say. Number one, we've wronged no one. Number two, we've corrupted no one. Number three, we've cheated no one. Now again, who is the church? Don't picture the church sitting inside these walls. It's beautiful. Assemblies are wonderful. I'm not belittling that. But the church, that's you and I all week long. You want to encourage people to come and part, come part of this body and open their hearts to us? That's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, please, open your hearts to us. There are people out in the community that we ought to have that same attitude. Please, open your hearts to us. But we've got to be like Paul and be able to say, we're trustworthy. How many people do you know that worship with Mount Julia Church Christ? And you know what you know about them? None of them have ever wronged you. Maybe before they became Christians, but not afterwards. None of them have ever corrupted you. Maybe before they become Christians, but not after they become Christians. None of them have ever cheated you. Maybe before they become Christians, but not after they become Christians. Listen to me, brethren. If you're living a hypocritical life, you're closing the hearts of the people in this community, and you need to repent. One of the things that we owe to the Lord, we owe to ourselves, and we owe to everybody that we're trying to reach out to, It's genuine and sincere faith. If someone comes here and becomes a friend of someone, they should never be wronged by a member of the Lord's body. They should never be corrupted by a member of the Lord's body. Can you imagine that? someone visiting and becoming a part of the fellowship of the Mount Juliet Church of Christ and then saying, you know, before I was a member there, I really didn't do some of these things that are wrong, but I began running with some of the people that are a member there, and now I find myself talking in ways I used to never talk. I find myself gossiping in ways I never gossiped. I find myself dressing in ways I never dressed. I find myself doing activities that I never did. Can you imagine that happening? brother? that can't happen and us please God. And so Paul says, listen, you can trust your souls with a relationship with us. Paul says, I know the false apostles have been lying, but listen, you can trust. Think about it. We have never wronged any of you. We have never corrupted any of you. We have never cheated cheated this dishonest game. In other words, we have never done anything to you that you have come out in an unfavorable way. We've done things to bless you, not things to hurt you. And so because of that, we see the focus Was not on selfishness. That's when we wrong people. That's when we offend people. Is when we're selfish. The focus was not on flesh. Corrupt. Immorality. The focus also was not upon cheating. Temporal things. We want temporal gain. You see the focus was on eternal. The focus was on spiritual The focus was being unselfish, the opposite of all three of those things. Well, how do you know that? Let's close this lesson by looking at the very next verse. Look what he says in verse 3. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. See, he has said, we'd love it if you'd open your hearts to us. And now in the very next verse, he says, by the way, we've opened our hearts to you. Even though you've accused me of being a false apostle, my heart is open to you. Even though you have mistreated me in a sense, I've not mistreated you. My heart is still open to you. Listen, we love others because of our God, not because who they are. That's why it's called unconditional love. Paul could literally say, even when you mistreated me, I didn't mistreat you. Our heart is open to you. Listen, I know that in an audience this size, there's no way that all of us will be best friends and all of us will know each other intimately, but I want you to think with me just a moment. Can you look across this audience and can you honestly say, my heart is open to anyone here? If I can help and I can serve you. That's what God's people. That's who they are. It's not just what they do, it's who they are. Their heart is literally open. Why? Because it is not about the temporal, it's not about the physical. What is it about? Did you notice he said I want us to die together and to live together. There's been a lot of poets through the years that have used that kind of interchange of words. But what's interesting is almost every time the poets use it, they say let us live together and die together. Why did Paul not say it that way? It's because of his priorities. Paul wasn't just talking about, hey, let's just share in a physical life together. Because you know why? I found out that when I'm a part of a fellowship of believers, my physical life is just so much better. Many of us would agree that our physical life is better because of the church, but that is not a high enough priority to become a part of the Lord's church. We become a part of the Lord's church because of the spiritual implications. Our God is worthy to be served, period. This life is temporal, period. Eternity is waiting for us. And so Paul now looks and he's urging them to accept Him. Not because he could say, oh, that just put a warm blanket around me. Now I feel so much better about myself. He's urging them to accept Him because He's a true apostle and they need to accept the truth. Why? Because he says, I want to die together with you. Why did he say die first, then say live? Because as Christians we realize that the real life, the real life, is the life to come. And the only way we can have that eternal life to come is for us to live for Him now and die with Him so that we can live with Him for an eternity. You've heard me say many times, I used to tell people on the day of their baptism, this is the best day of your life. And I did some funerals. And I come to realize that that is one of the best days. But the best day of an individual's life is when they've lived a faithful life to the Lord. In their last day, in their last breath, they lived that day faithful to God. And they died. I look forward to all the ways God will give us the opportunity to live together. But I look even more forward to God allowing us to die together with Him. Because if that takes place, we will live together for an eternity. This morning, because of the spiritual emphasis, Let's make sure that no one here this morning is invisible. We encourage you to go to a Bible class. And what we've learned over the past six or seven weeks of Bible classes, in the way that that first ten minutes is structured now, we've learned that it's giving us a lot of opportunities to really get to know each other. To open up our hearts to each other. And to serve each other. And I want to encourage you to use this time in just a few minutes when we go into Bible class or just a few minutes when this service is over. I want to encourage you to look at it as an opportunity that God gives to make room for one more in your heart. There's no greater gift that God gives us than an opportunity to be a part of His family. And this morning, if you're not a part of His family... Why not? You can't give a good answer to that. You can give excuses, but not a good answer. This morning, are you tired of excuses? Why not become a child of God? Repent. Confess before man to be baptized into Christ. And arise as a child of God. Perhaps you've become a child of God. And along the way, you've lost the way. We know from Luke 15 how important you are. The Father's looking down the road. And we, as a church family, we care too. And we want to rejoice with the heavenly host. I want to be able to say this morning, and I want to be able to believe, and that all, oh, so many of us have been praying about this, especially the last six weeks. We want you to know that here you can find a place.